The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, my name is Dave Parton, the pastor here at Neighborhood Church, and if you're visiting uh, with us today, we're glad you're here. If you're visiting from really far away, we're glad you're here. You know, we love family visiting and family friends visiting our church, so we're glad you guys are here. And I just wanted to say um, uh, how much I missed uh, seeing you guys last week. Uh, this kind of once-a-week rhythm that God has set into motion with uh the way our weeks and months and years are all set up and to, to meet together as a church, like I really feel it, you know, when we miss and I'm excited that the weather was good and hopefully we'll stay that way for the rest of this season so we can hang out on Sunday. So um, before we get started today, let me pray and ask uh, just for help from the Holy Spirit that today as we go into God's word, that the Holy Spirit will uh, align us and move us to live lives that honor him and, and love our neighbors well. Okay, let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, uh, we never want to take for granted this book, this, this, the Bible, these books that have been your words throughout generations to, to men and women that have written things down, that have said things in your presence, in, in, in the presence of your prophets, in the presence of the, the biblical writers and letters and these poems and these proverbs and some of the wisest people that ever lived. We have in this book their thoughts that were given from you. And I pray today, as we study your words, Jesus, things that you have said when you were here, may we, may we take them to heart, may we understand them more clearly today. And Father, I just pray that anything in our lives that are not aligned to the way of life that you teach and that you taught, uh, that you would help us be humble, change, and be moved. It's in your name. Amen. So we are in Matthew 25. So if you have a Bible around you there, you can grab that. This is odd. I'm missing my first page. But I know where there's another copy. I'm pretty sure my, my third daughter plays a prank on me about once every six months and just starts taking my, taking my handouts. All right. Last uh, time we met, we talked about being prepared. I print two copies. That's right. That's what I do. That's what I do. All right, so we're going to be looking at the return of Jesus uh, today. Um, the, these four weeks of sermons are going to be all about the second coming, as we even sang some of that today, this morning, to be reminded of uh, uh, what is happening in the future uh, Matthew chooses, as he's writing his account of the life of Jesus, uh, and even in his last week, Matthew chooses to record, you know, two of the chapters, which is a chunk about Jesus' teaching on the second coming. Two weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the ten virgins, or the ten bridesmaids, who were to light the way for the groom when he was to arrive, Jesus being the groom in that, in that story, in that parable. Uh, five of the girls were prepared had two copies of their sermon, if you will. Five of the girls were not. Uh, and uh, those that were prepared were invited into the feast. Um, and the five that were not ready were locked out. 
and not allowed into the banquet. And Jesus actually ends the parable uh, to kind of set us up for today, saying, as he ends, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So he's encouraging the disciples, watch, the second coming's going to happen. Watch. So Jesus and Matthew think it's really important for us, right, to know that we should be ready. Uh, there's a glorious celebration awaiting to be ready for that, and there's horrible consequences for those that are, that are not ready for the second coming. Uh, so just a quick review. In Matthew 24, if you have a, a black a, a Bible around you and you'd like to kind of flip through and see where we're at, you know, we're only on a couple pages of that huge, thick book. Uh, we're not studying the whole thing today if you're visiting. Just, just a page, right? We're just looking at parts of it. So Matthew 24 is Jesus teaching of the future destruction of the temple and the end of the age. And then Matthew 25 is where he sets up three parables. Matthew records for us three parables. The last, as he just shared, was about the, the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom. The second parable of these three is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about risk for reward, this idea of faithfully working for God. And then next week we're going to talk about uh, the third parable, the sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats. So if you didn't like to be talked about being a, a, a little girl last week, you thought that was demeaning. And then today we're going to talk about you being a slave or a servant. You don't like that. Next week you're a sheep. So, I mean, it's just getting worse, right? It's just your pride is just going to get destroyed as we talk about who we actually are in the kingdom of God. So let's read this. Let's read this. Uh, verse 14, 25, 14. It'll be on the screen if you'd like to read up there. For it will be like... A man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made you two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I, I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him 
and give it to the one who has ten talents, for everyone who has will more, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is using this parable of the talents, this story, right, about a master giving these talents to his servants to help prepare his disciples for his return. So we're going to just spend the next 20 minutes or so kind of breaking this down and kind of seeing what um, Jesus is doing here. My aim today is that you'd be ready to receive your reward for your work. So that's my hope, is that you would be ready to receive the reward for your work. We're going to look at three things, the risk, the, uh, the receiving, the risk, and the reward. So let's begin, as we do most of the times when we go through parables, let's just kind of start connecting the dots, who's what in the story. And first off, we have in verse 14, for it will be like. What's the it there? Well, if we look back up at 25.1, the last parable, this is the same stream of thought Jesus is teaching. He begins the other parable in 25.1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. So it in verse 14 is the kingdom of heaven. It's just kind of a series of teachings as we've already shared. And this series and the title of the overall two years has been the kingdom. Even Matthew, in writing his entire account of Jesus, wants his readers to know that there's another kingdom outside of this one that we kind of breathe in and live in and experience from day to day on a physical level. There's, there's, a, there's another set of rules, right? There's another ruler. There's another reality. And Jesus... Over and over again, Matthew's trying to show us, and Jesus is the authority. He is the king. He is the ruler in this other reality. But even more than just knowing that about the kingdom, it's a very specific part of the kingdom. The kingdom's pretty vast, right? There's, there's numerous parables and stories and teachings on the kingdom. And specifically, this kingdom that we're talking about today is in this set that we've already set up. It's about the end of the age, right? So the end of the age kingdom, the, the end times, is going to be kind of like this. And it kind of begins to lay out this parable. So back to the verse. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man, or we learn later on a master. I'll use the word master probably most of the time. So the kingdom of heaven is like a master, and this master is the Jesus character, right? Jesus is, is this part in the story. He's the king in control. He's the groom from the last story, the main character. It's his authority in these parables. And what does this master do? Well, he's going on a journey, and one thing, when you read these parables, like sometimes it's good to break them down, but I think when you recognize the master is going on a journey, he's not moving, right? He's not going south forever. It's just winter time, right? Like, it's just, he's going on a journey. He's going to go experience the mountains. Whatever the God of the universe wants to do, we know that Jesus left the earth, went to the mountaintop of heaven, right? He went to Zion, right? He went to this magic place, on a journey, but he's coming back. That's what we do, right? Anybody who packs for camping, you love that part. That was fun to set up for. It was decent while we were there. Oh, my bed. You know, it's like there is this journey that awaits 
your bed at the end. Okay, so Jesus is setting us up that it's a journey of a master where he's coming back one day. Doesn't give a timeline, and it's going to be probably a long time as we recognize in these parables. So as far as we know, that the kingdom of heaven, the end of the age, this section, is like a master who's going on a trip for a certain amount of time and is going to return. So next we find out that this master has some servants, right? And he calls them, three of them, and these servants are those that at least verbally, right, or positionally, are connected to the master, his estate and his properties. They're somehow connected to the master. And these characters are those of us in today's time that would say we're Christians or churchgoers or Jesus is cool. Like, Jesus' stuff is nice and right-ish. Like, I want to be around the Jesus things. Like, these are the servants, right? We find in the story. They're somehow connected to the master. And then we see that this master has some property. He has some stuff. He's not poor. He has actually a lot of wealth and chooses to give some of his wealth to these three servants to care for. Jesus is telling us here that everything is his. And I'm just chipping away at the pride today, and i like, Everything is his. This vast wealth of the master, this vast wealth of the earth is actually the king's. The king of the kingdom is in full ownership of all things, friends. He gives, he takes away at his own pleasure. So what does the master do with this property? Well, he gives the three servants an outrageous amount of money. Five talents, Two talents and one talent. Now, this idea of talent is not a skill. Like in English, we hear the word talent. You know, and you might be thinking, he taught the first guy, you know, singing and dancing and comedy and shooting a bow and arrow with his feet while standing on his hands. You guys have seen that video, right? That's crazy, right? Not that kind of talent. It's money, right? As I keep saying, it's money. And it's actually a ton of money. So a talent, we're just going to say their currency back then is a little bit broader than ours. We talk about the, the denarii sometimes here because it shows up in the New Testament. It's a good word to kind of know if you're reading the Bible. So when you read the word denarii, if it's using a parable or somebody pays somebody a denarii, just for culture, culturally speaking, the denarii is a day's wage, right? So if, if there's a story like, and this man gave this other man a denarii, you're like, oh, it's a day's wage. Like, can you get an idea? Like, that's about the amount of money. A talent is 6,000 denarii. I mean, we go from a penny to a $100 bill. Like, they go from a day's wage, and young, smaller, of course, to 6,000 days. So we're just going to use this word. He gave $5 million to one, $2 million to another, and one million to another. It helps our ears in English, right? Better understand the parable versus a talent. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, is that like a quarter? No, it's a million dollars, right? It's a, it's a briefcase of money. So he gives one, five, one, two, and one, one. So as you read something like this, you realize, all right, the master's pretty rich and powerful, and he has a lot of trust. I mean, if I had eight million dollars, and I'm like, I'm going to go away for a while. I'm going to pick three of you, 
You guys are like hoping I'm rich. I'm not. All right, I'm going to pick three of you and give you, you know, a million bucks to, to, to take care of and hold on to and to do things with. You know, you're like, I'll, be, I'll take the million. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll take the million. Yeah, so just recognize it's a lot of money. It's a lot of trust going on there. So the first point today is we are the receivers. And you have to know this in the story, and you have to know this about the reality of living in, in this kingdom and knowing there's another kingdom with a king. Humans are on the receiving side. As of Sarah, Jesus is the king who owns everything and chooses to entrust much to his faulty humans. Even the least guy got a million dollars. This is why we will often talk about stewardship in the church, right? Not only does Paul talk about it that way, we talk about that in a healthy way over wealth. And when you're a steward, you recognize that the things you have aren't actually yours. They're someone else's. You're caring for somebody else's stuff. And you're supposed to use it correctly. And this is a principle that I know I, growing up from the 70s until now, in a pretty healthy economy with healthy parents, middle-class family, currently a middle-class family. We learned one time that most of us are in the top 2% richest people in the whole world that have ever lived. You guys maybe remember that sermon? Like, we are really wealthy in our generation, and there's a struggle there because we forget that all this stuff that we have isn't actually ours. And I, and I know as I look around in the room, like a lot of us have worked really hard to get the things that we have. And you might even say, Dave, nothing that I have is a gift. I can tell you and, and share with you the wounds that I've gone through to get what I have. And the struggles and the late nights and the delayed dreams and the sacrifices that I've put off to actually have the wealth that I have. And this morning, I just want to share with you, maybe this parable will be hard for you. It'll be kind of like the interaction Jesus had with the rich young ruler, right? This man with power, this man with plenty of money. And Jesus said, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor, because that's what this man needed to do to inherit eternal life. And what did this man choose to do? Well, he gave up eternal riches to keep his earthly riches. And it's a hard story because that's not a parable. That's a person. Guys, your freedom to live in this wonderful society of America, in the Midwest, this freedom we have, it's a gift. It was given to you. Your health, your mind, your creativity, your family, or your Choices to be better than your family, right? And the ability to do that, the drive you have, it's a gift. Your friends, your bosses, your mentors, and last but not least, your God, who's given you a faith, enough faith that there's a God that you actually came into a school this morning to learn about him. Gift. These are all things that were given. Someone else has, has taken wealth and placed it 
for you to use the correct way. God has prepared. God has made plans. Even the good works the Bible teaches that are before you. Guess who prepared that opportunity to do good things to honor God and honor people? The Bible teaches God set those up for you. This is where we need to start today. When we look at the giving of the talents, Hughes summarizes this idea of talents being gifts and money and kind of connecting them really well. He writes, the talents symbolize more than money, but not less than money. Listen, just because Jesus is not teaching economic theory, don't think that he isn't teaching some economic truths. Money matters, matter to Jesus, and it is the master's money, quite plainly, we are dealing with here. While we need not limit the application of this parable to just money matters, let's not be so quick to expand the talents to mean everything except money. Wasn't it Jesus who said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? That was from the Sermon on the Mount. And this takes us to our next point today. We should rightly risk. And we find this in the parable. And this is where we get to the meat of the parable. 25.16 says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So, we see that there's a went at once. There was this urgency from the first guy. Maybe because his abilities, he probably had a network, and he was like, got it, and just went at once, started making more, started to double this resource that was just given to him. He probably had extra capacity and was ready to go. The go-getter of the group, right? And he went and doubled the investment. And the next guy, the two talents guy, he went, and doubled his money as well. But the third guy, maybe there's some timidity there, right? It seems that he just wanted to go and hide it. So he kind of dug and buried. There's kind of a work balance or imbalance there between these three characters. And as we read earlier, we know that the first two were rewarded and the third was punished. So before we get to that, Let's kind of see what the big deal is there. Well, we read that there was fear, right? There was fear in the third guy, the one-talent individual, that the master was a hard man. Let's read that real quick, 25, 24. He also who had received the one-talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Basically, what this guy's saying, God, or master, you expect too much. You want crops where you don't even throw seed. This guy's not talking correctly, right, to the master in many ways. And then as we look at the parable, this is a way that many people view God, right? And maybe some of us in the room view God this way. I don't want to do anything that can make God mad at me, so I'm not going to do anything. And what this parable speaks to is, that's not good. 
that's not good. One of my old pastors used to say, I think God is more proud of the things we try and fail at for him than the things that we don't even try. If you're a parent in the room, or you've helped mentor people, when somebody that you're teaching or that you want to grow tries really hard and fails, there's a joy in that for most of us, right? It's sometimes in the, the failure that there's like, that's the lesson I wanted you to learn. I knew you couldn't chop up an entire oak tree. You know, there's a certain lesson there. But what if you have the, the person you're training as slothful and lazy and doesn't try anything? There's disappointment there. You're, you're missing. And this is, a, this, this is so much greater in the kingdom of God. And what he's teaching is here is to risk rightly. You see, we are to have a holy fear of God. It's right to fear Him. The Bible's clear about that. Read the Psalms. He has the power over human eternity. But this third man had a wrong fear of God, a fear that paralyzed him. He saw the Master as unloving and rash and wrong expectations. But we have a God who's, who loves us. The one that sends his own son as a savior, as a sacrifice for the very people that are nailing him to the cross. This is the kind of love of the God that we know. So let's rightly risk. And what I'm talking about here is investing in treasures in heaven. So I just want to share real quickly just a few questions. How are you and your family using your money? How are you using your time for Jesus? Do you have a percentage that you've set aside to invest? A common number that many of us here use at the church is 10%. Do you, do you say, all right, God, I know that I could have X, Y, and Z with this 10%, but I trust that there's some eternal things that you want to do with this money, and I'm going to give it away to you. It's called the tithe. Do you give a percentage of your time to kingdom purposes? Do you coach a sport? Do you serve in the school? Do you serve in your, at your work? Where do you volunteer your time? Where It doesn't seem like you're going to get much back at all. But you're just giving back your time. And in a way that it's the way Jesus lived his life. With no strings attached. Do you serve? How much, what percentage of your time? Do you keep that consistent? And do you encourage those around you to spend their time for kingdom purposes? What Rivers and I have found over the years is that the more that we give of ourselves and the more we give of our money and our time, the more satisfaction and desire for God that we have. And the more that we hoard and keep and self-focus, it's the more we desire the things of the world and the more we live in want. So to be content in the kingdom of God is to be generous. And there's freedom in that. And it takes risk to trust that your master will use it for his glory. So point two is to rightly risk. Lastly, point three, 
the reward is great. And as we found in the passage, even though the generous money was not the same, the reward was equally great. Right? The master, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. He says the same exact words to the one with the two talents. So what do we learn here? Well, if you're faithful with the abilities that God has given you and the resources God has given you and the good works that God sets before you, you don't need to look at other people. You need to be faithful with who God has made you. And you will get the same reward because it's not about us comparing one another. It's about us comparing are we living the kind of life that God has set us up to do in our context. That's what we learn. And what do you get? Well, all human beings who are faithful get this, well done. And you're like, I don't know if that's good enough. Well, isn't the compliments worth determined by the fame and honor of the encourager? Like if I say, good job, good job, Roy. That was good, right? And whatever he's doing. But I have no idea the competency that he's working on. He's like, ah, Dave's nice. He has no idea what I just went through to get that done, right? But if you take somebody that, that Roy looks up to, that's like his mentor, who says, ah, oh, that was amazing, well done. It fe- you feel it. Now take God telling humans, well done. That's going to, I don't know, that's going to just knock us down. He will tell us, well done. It'll be more than any coach, spouse. Mm. I can just, like God saying, daughter, you spent your time on earth well. Well done. Son, you did great. You rocked it. Well done. Those words are priceless. Secondly, the reward goes beyond just the encouragement of God to man, but we get eternity with this encouraging God forever. He says, I will set you over much. You were faithful over a little. I gave you five million and you doubled it. That was just a little bit. That was just, that was just a little bit. You're going to get much now, and you're like, man, this kingdom economy is beyond what I could imagine. I was faithful over a little, just a little, just a little five million dollars. Like, what? Now, here, here's much. That's the economy of the kingdom of God. And what, is it, what word does he use there of our emotion? Joy. That's what we get to have. 
joy in a relationship with Jesus forever. The great banquet is already set as we studied in Matthew and awaits the family of God to come for the faithful to enjoy God forever. But as we close, we must read what happened to the third guy, the one who misjudged the master. And I'll close with Jesus' words here. The third guy said, So I was afraid, and I went and hid your town in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has, has will be given, and he who will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's very sobering, just as we ended the last parable where the, the five bridesmaids were locked out of the banquet. Here we have punishment for the slothful, the lazy, the one that misjudges God. And if you find yourself today wondering if you're in that place, my hope for you is that you repent. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is when you repent, you turn away from the slothful life that's meaningless and that's unprepared. And you turn toward Jesus and you begin to invest in the things of God and his kingdom. And you know what you get? You get the banquet. We rest in the work that Jesus has already done. If you've been around our church, you know that there's nothing about what we preach here that you have to give a certain amount of money in that offering box to get to heaven. That makes me want to throw up in the offering box. Like, that is not us at all. But there's something about you being free in this life. And there's something about my friends, which I don't know of any of you guys doing this, but if you have friends and family that hoard, and nothing is ever enough, and you want them to be free, That's my hope for us as a church, that we're free of our stuff, that we invest our time and our money and our talents, like the bow and arrow thing. We invest all of that for the kingdom so many will come to faith in Christ. May we spend these earth years proclaiming the grace of Jesus to the most people we can. Many are confused about the gospel Many have rejected Jesus, maybe for one reason or another in their past. But guys, as I've talked to people in our neighborhood, many have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They assume they know what goes on here. They assume what this Bible says, and they're wrong. But we know the gospel is the love of God for the sinners of the world, which we are all the biggest. As we close, when we recognize that we are the receivers and risk rightly, we will be rewarded greatly. And our question, where is God calling you to invest? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I I thank you for teaching us this parable, Jesus, that, that we can recognize that you are coming back and we are to be ready. And one of the ways that we prepare is to invest in eternal things. 
Help us do that. Help show us how to best live this life so we live generously for your glory. It's in your name. Amen.